Romans 1, verse 21. Uh, And if you know Romans 1, Paul gives this really large list of really unacceptable uh, behavior that he's observed. Um, And he, you know, it's very explicit. But then at the end of it, he comes to this conclusion. He says in verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor give thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's almost as though Paul is saying, why do people behave in that particular way? And if you were to ask that question, you know, what is the kind, what is wrong with the world? Different people come up with different conclusions. Some people would say, well, it's politicians there, they're corrupt, or some people would say, well, it's religion that's done so much harm, or, you know, all kinds of explanations might be given. But Paul says the reason that people behave in the way that they do is because they do not glorify God and they do not give thanks. Now, so I wanted to think about those two things. What does it actually mean to glorify God And what does it mean to give thanks? And I'm going to take them in that order, but towards the end I'm going to kind of swap them round. Um, Because um, particularly in terms of worship, I think it has some uh, implications. So first of all, what does it mean to glorify God? Or what is God's glory? Well, it's clear that the glory of God is primarily linked to his holiness. And it is what makes God perfectly unique and perfectly different and gives him his divine essence and it's tied up with God's holiness because God's holiness is what makes him unique and when he calls us to holiness it is what makes us unique too so at the heart of God's glory is understanding God's holiness Um, and it's his holiness that makes him who he is and unlike anyone, anything else in the whole world, God's holiness is what makes him him. And we find that in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, where the link between the glory of God and the holiness of God is established. So again, let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God, when we talk about glorifying God, and when we talk about God's glory, we are talking about the revelation of who God is. Now, I know this is kind of quite deep stuff, but, um, but it's really important that the revelation of God is about revealing his glory and showing us what holiness looks like. And it's what makes God unique. Now, for me, and I'll come back to this, it's that sense of to God be the glory. And I want us to kind of think about what does that actually mean. So first of all, that's, you know, they did not give glory to God 
means that they were not aware of God's holiness. You know, they weren't focusing on the holiness of God. But then Paul also says, but the problem with these people as well is that they did not give thanks. Now, I get that because in actual fact, we have to train ourselves to give thanks. By, by inclination, we don't do that. You know, we're not born polite. Um, we learn to be polite. <clears throat> it should be at the home, but it's not. When I was a secondary school head teacher, when Ofsted came, they said, your young people are unusually polite. And I said, do you know why that is? And they said, no. And I said, because I stand at the school gate every single morning and say good morning to every other child that walks through the gate. And I don't let them in the gate until they say good morning back to me. And then at the dinner queue at lunchtime, I would stand and I would remind young people that they had not said thank you for the people that provided the food for them. So I said, it didn't happen by accident and osmosis. It happens through training. Um, it should happen in the home, but it doesn't. Um, but that's fine. Um, but we learn and we train ourselves. And I'm trying to, and over the years, I have tried to train myself to be thankful. And I'm getting better at it. I have certain things that happen to me every single day um, I think I've forgotten something, and then I realize I've remembered. And when I realize I've remembered, I always thank God, because I couldn't possibly remember, because I always forget. <laughs> so when I remember something, I just think, thank you, God. Or I think, oh, no, I should have brought that letter to work. And I think, oh, man. And then I go to my bag, and it's in my bag. And I think, gosh, that was clever. Thank you, God, because I couldn't possibly think about putting that in my letter, in my bag. And so I'm training myself to thank God constantly for the things that he does. Or when, he, when I get something right, I always thank God. Because it can't be me. No, it just cannot be. So whenever I get something right or I do something right, I always find myself thinking, thank you, God. Because I know who I am. So I am training myself to be thankful. But also I know that you know, generally speaking, the opportunity for thankfulness presents itself best on a Sunday when we come to church and worship. You know, that's our greatest opportunity about um, offering thanks to God. And we were well reminded this morning about that, that process of not forgetting to meet together. And it is really important because when we come to church on Sunday, by far... Through our worship, we have the greatest opportunity that the week presents us to be thankful. And there is a really important relationship between the giving of thanks and worship. Um, and the giving of thanks or praising God is the gateway to worshipping God and glorifying God. And I'm going to talk a bit about what that looks like. You see, we give thanks to God for all the things that he's done for us. You know, he saves us, he delivers us, he heals us, he helps us, he just blesses us. And it's that sense of count your blessings. Just stop and think in the course of this week all the things that God has done for you. And when we come to singing songs of praise, that's what we're acknowledging. We're acknowledging the things that God has done for us. 
But I always think there's a bit of a problem with praise is that it's still egocentric. It's still thinking about me and what God has done for me. Now that's okay, um, because that, but that's the starting point. But my understanding of the journey of worship is that you move from that place of praising God for what he's done and thanking God for what he's done into that place of worship where you acknowledge who God is and you acknowledge the character and personality of God. You see, when you've praised God and when you've thanked God for what he's done, you kind of have to ask yourself, why does he do that? Why does he do that? And the reason he does it is because of who he is. Now, I get that little reminder sometimes when I'm at work because sometimes through the banter, I will do something good and people will say, well done, Jez, that's really good for you. <laughs> and that kind of makes me, I'm thinking, what do you mean good for me? What, you think that I can't do good things? You can't think that I can do kind things? But I know that that's what, you know, the kind, I know it's humorous, but there is that kind of, I'm quite surprised, Jez, that you actually did that generous act. Uh, given the, what I know about you. Um, but, you know, it is about our actions ultimately want to make us think about who we are. And, you know, and I think that ultimately when we talk about God and we're talking about that place of praise and worship and we're thanking God and praising him for what he's done for us, there comes a time when we have to ask the question, why does he do what he does? And at that point, you move from praise that's still egocentric, thinking about me and the blessings that I have received, to where I become, and I get lost in, in worship. I get lost in worshipping God, and I'm no longer thinking about what God does for me. I'm simply thinking about who God is. And that, for me, is the journey of worship. Now, not everybody holds to that, um, but, but it is for me. And it's important. Um, and I kind of have a, a kind of journey that I want to make, which I don't always make, but I want to make that journey. I still like the old liturgies where you started the service with, with confession and that contrition. Because to me, when I come to church, that seems to me the most obvious starting point where I just need to stop and say, God, I've really messed up this week. And also, I'm anxious about all these things. Can I give you my anxieties? Can I give you my sins? So that now I'm in a position to praise and to thank you. And when I've praised and thank you, I'll be in a position to worship you and glorify you. That's how my mind works in terms of worship. Now, just to digress for a minute, um, I've always been fascinated by, by words. Um, when I was young, I went to university and did a um, an acting degree, so I, I trained as an actor and then eventually became um, a drama and theatre studies teacher. So I guess I've always been interested in, in words and I may be a bit over-obsessed with words because I'm always looking at words. Um, you know, at the coffee shop, we've got a kind of playlist of about, I think, 269 songs. It takes about a day and a half to get through it and then it starts again. But after eight months, I'm pretty familiar with all the words um, I know them all and I, I listen to the words and nobody else does but I do and so when we're walking around like Naomi I'll often say well that's the power of love and then she'll go what 
And then, of course, that's the song that's been played. I know the words. Um, or, um, you know, I'll say, do you know what you're like? You're like a bridge over troubled waters. And they're like, why are you saying that? Yeah, it's, it's there. And I've got all these words. And I haven't listened to the words. And everybody's like, why do you listen to the words? But I'm obsessed with, with words and what they're meaning. And Naomi and I were discussing a few months ago. She introduced me to the song. She said, this is the best song you know, ever kind of thing. Uh, and, and I'm listening to the words and I'm thinking, what? Did you just say that God's love is reckless? And we had this long discussion, didn't we? And she, we just agreed to disagree on it now. Because I'm like, how can God's love be reckless? And then Naomi was saying, well, it's that sense of not giving up on you and pursuing you. And I'm like, oh, well, that's relentless. Um, that's not reckless. That's relentless. Um, but I can't think of any context in which the word reckless is ever good. Reckless driver. You know, reckless behavior. Reckless actions. But reckless love just doesn't work anyway. I, I know, and I know that these things get under my skin. Words get under my skin, and I'm always thinking about them. Like years ago, we, we, we had a new song, and everyone thought it was the song of the, the, the month. It was, you know, these are the days of Elijah we sang. And I'm like, are they? Well, what would the days of Elijah look like? These are days of Zechariah. Are they really? And I just think about words and then I know that if I share them I get I upset people but I'm going to upset you anyway because I'm going to tell you something else that gets under my skin to God be the glory great things he has done now I know I'm on holy ground here and if you want to throw books at me or whatever and and just hound me out of the church do but I don't believe that giving God the glory for things he has done, is right. I think we give God the glory for who he is, not for what he's done. I praise God and thank God for what he's done, and I worship him and glorify him for who he is. Okay? And so putting those two things together just doesn't make sense to me. Because the journey of worship is, I'm moving from that place of I've confessed my sins, I've left my problems at the, the door of the tent. You know like in those old movies where you went in to see the king in a, in a tent and you had to leave your sword um, at the entrance in case you stabbed the king or something. Well, I think you, when you come to worship, you, you leave your anxieties at the door, you deal with your sin, you come into that place of praise and thanksgiving where you think, God, you have been so good to me um, this day, this week. And then when you get to that place and you ask that question, God, why is it you do those things? Why is it you keep loving me? Why is it you keep blessing me? Why is it that you keep being so good to me when I'm just so useless? And then you think, well, that's because God is who he is. And then you get into that place of worship and you get into that place of glorifying God because of his holiness. So I think that that's the journey that we make. Um, and when we come to church on Sunday, that's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to, um, to you know, deal with my sin, to leave my anxieties to come and praise and thank God, to move into worship where I glorify him. And then do you know what? 
this is the surprising thing, is when you finish and you go back through the tent entrance, your problems are still there and you pick them up again. But do you know what? They don't look the same. They don't look the same. Because when you've been in that place of worship and you've thought about who God is, you've still got the same issues, but it's not the same anymore. And God brings a perspective um, and he gives clarity. So that's our opportunity, you know, to glorify God and to give thanks. And that's why I think that, that worship on a Sunday is just so important because it helps us avoid those issues that Paul talked about, about people who do not glorify God and do not give him thanks. But I want to come back to the giving of, of thanks because I think that there are real benefits for us too. Just like, you know, the benefit of worshipping God is it gives you a perspective. You know, whenever people are anxious or whenever people are concerned about things, often God is the furthest place where you're at. And yet that's the place where you need to be the most. Because when you're anxious, just knowing and reminding yourself of who God is brings a sense of perspective. You know, God who created the heavens and the earth. What, you're worried about not meeting your bills this week or this month? God who created the heavens and the earth who you've just worshipped, who's your dad and your father. It brings a perspective. But giving thanks also does good. And, you know, I think, and I think Pastor Phil sort of touched on that this morning, that, that when you think about the enemy's strategy, I think that one of the things that, that the enemy does regularly, and Paul said this, is he makes us want what other people have got. He makes us covetous of other people and the things that they have. In fact, if you read Romans, one of the things that Paul says is that when I went through the Ten Commandments, I felt okay about things. You know, yes, I could honor my parents. Um, yes, I loved God. But Paul says the thing that undid him was when he got to do not covet. That's the thing that undid him because he was, he could sort of tick all the lists. I'd struggle to tick many of them, to be honest, but he could tick most of them. But the one that he couldn't tick is that covetousness, that wanting something else that somebody's got. You know, wanting somebody's car, wanting somebody's house, wanting their job, wanting their wife, wanting their lifestyle, wanting their looks. You know, that sense of wanting what other people have got. And I think that that is essentially part of our sinful nature. And I think that Satan taps into that because he knows that at the heart of people is a tendency to cover what other people want. Um, and it also kind of draws us to that kind of conclusion that, that God is holding back on good things. You know, that God doesn't give us good things. And I think it's at the heart of temptation. Now, some of the things, it's not just necessarily about wanting things, because sometimes wanting things can be a good thing. But then the second thing that's tied in with that is how you go about getting it. Because sometimes you can have godly aspirations, 
but the way that you attain it is not godly. Now, when Jesus came to the earth, he wanted to win the world. That's what he wanted. And, of course, we know that when he went to the cross, that's exactly what he did do. And Pastor Phil mentioned it this morning. I'm going to mention it again. Actually, before he went to the cross, he had an opportunity to win the world without the cross. Because the prince of this world offered it to him in the temptation. He said, do you know what? You have come to win the world, and I am the prince of this world, and I own it, and I will give it to you. Apart from, you must bow down and worship me. And secondly, you can have the world without the cross. Now, Jesus knew that that was not possible. A, he couldn't bow down uh, and worship Satan. And B, he knew that the only way to win the world was through the cross. So you can have wrong aspirations and you can have good aspirations, but go about it in an un ungodly way. But you see, what thankfulness does is it brings you back. Because at the heart of covetousness is a lack of contentment. We're just not happy with what we've got. And Satan knows that. And so he suggests, well, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you had their house or their car or their, you know, whatever it is? But you see, what the Bible teaches is that tied up with thankfulness is contentment. And I believe that God wants us to be a people who are both giving thanks because the benefit of giving thanks is that it creates contentment. And in Timothy we read, um, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, God wants us to look at our circumstances and say, God, you have been good to me. And I am, just want to thank you. And I am content. Now, I am convinced that the content person is the unassailable person. I am convinced about that. Because... You are unassailable because temptation is premised on Satan offering you something that you have not got. But if he is offering you something that you don't want, it's not a temptation. You know, if you, if you go to, um, you know, a car boot sale and somebody says, oh, would you like to buy this 1960s record player? Like, no, I'm really not interested in that. But I'm a sucker for things like coffee grinders and whatever, you know, because that's my kind of passion. If like, oh, you know, there's only one of this ever made in the whole world and you can have it for a fiver. I'm going to buy it. I'm tempted by that because there's some attraction to what they're offering. So you're only tempted by what you're attracted towards. And Satan knows that. And he knows the things that you are not um, troubled by, but he also knows the things that you can be offered. And I would urge you to, to kind of develop that lifestyle of giving thanks and learning to be content in all the circumstances in which you find yourself. Because if you are, 
you become somebody that Satan is going to struggle with because he offers you things and he keeps saying, not interested, not interested. Now, I know that that's difficult. One of the songs that I struggle with, not because I don't agree with the words, I just find it hard to sing, is that, that phrase, Christ is enough for me. Because in reality, I think, yeah, Christ, but if I, land, if I won the lottery, that would be nice. Or Christ, but a new car would be nice. Or Christ, but a bit of respect would be nice. I always think, you know, but Christ is enough for me, plus... Now, I think if you can get to a place where you can sing, but Christ is enough for me, you become safe. Because what's Satan going to offer you? When you've got Christ, you've got the whole world. There is nothing that can be offered you that would be tempted. But we, because we're dealing with that covetous nature, that wanting something else, that we haven't got. There is great value in being a person who thanks God and who learns to be contented with their circumstances. And I think that a lot of our anxieties, and you know, if we were to write all our anxieties on a, on a wall, they would all be different for different people. But listen, God is good. He has been good to you. Let's give thanks and let's be contented with where we find ourselves. And we can hold things together. If you suspect that you're not quite right where you need to be, you can still pray and ask God to change your circumstances. But until he does, I will be content where I am. And if God graciously changes your circumstances... Wonderful. And God does answer prayer. You know, when, just finally, and I'll stop, but finally when, when Bev went to Nepal, she went with Caris and the three grandchildren that are here in Bradford, and they didn't know they were going. So like a minute before they were getting in the car to go to the airport, Luke said to them, if you could be with anyone in the world, who would you be with? And Josiah said, my cousins in Nepal. And Luke said, just as well because you're getting in the car and going to the airport. So they were just beside themselves. But as we were driving over to Nepal, uh, so to, to the airport, I was, yeah, that would be a bit of a journey, wouldn't it? Well, it's, it's, it's 18 hours as it is, you know. But um, as we were driving to the airport, Hannah from Nepal rang Bev and she was talking to her on the phone and she said, um, the girls have no idea that you're coming. She said, but look on your phone. I've sent a photograph and, and on the phone was a picture of a prayer that Millie had written and put under a pillow. I don't know why, maybe it's similar to a tooth fairy or something, but she put it under a pillow and it said something like, Dear God, any chance my grandma and my cousins can come to Nepal? And Bev said, little does she know that in 18 hours, that's exactly what's going to happen. And when they got there and they knocked on the door, Hannah said, oh, I don't know who's at the door, I better go and see. And the girls ran and they were absolutely speechless. 
You know, God does change circumstances and he does answer prayer. But until he does, I will be content where I am right now. Being contentment is not in contradiction to praying for change. They just go hand in hand. But what a wonderful place. I always used to feel that when I was going off for interviews for, you know, when I became a head teacher and stuff and for jobs, I always used to feel, I was always in a good place because I always liked where I worked. So if I didn't get the job and I had to go back to work the next day, I was okay about that because actually it's a, it's a nice job. I just fancy being the boss, you know, that's all. Um, and if you're in that place of contentment, it doesn't stop you saying, God, please change my circumstances. But until he does, I'll just be thankful and contented until it happens. And it may never happen, but that's okay, because you're still giving thanks and you're still contented.